we're thinking about neighbors, and you, you saw the title of the message today, You've Got a Friend in Me, surely Toy Story came to your mind. Um, and I wonder how many of our neighbors, or how many of us as neighbors, would say the words that we just heard to those that live around us in close proximity. You've got a friend in me. You know, I'm your buddy, I'm your pal. When, if you're ever in some sort of deep need, you can call me because you've got a friend in me. Now, when Jesus was crucified, all of his friends were absolutely devastated. They didn't know what they were going to do next. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared before them. And then they were ecstatic and they were excited and, and they couldn't wait to see what Jesus was going to do. I mean, I wonder, <coughs> excuse me, I wonder if they didn't think that Jesus was going to be on the, on the earth for, for another 40 years and, and he was going to carry out the plan. And, and they, they began wondering that. But you know what? Jesus didn't stick around for a couple decades. Jesus didn't stick around for a year. Jesus only stuck around for just 40 days. 40 days after Christ rose again, he was gone again. And, uh, before Jesus left the earth, he gathered his disciples together and he told them the plan. Okay? Jesus said, all right, guys, huddle together, right? Here's the plan. Okay? I'm leaving. I'll be back someday. I'll be with you spiritually, but, but I'm leaving. And, and as that was probably sinking in and the disciples were digesting that, they're probably thinking, well, what's the plan going forward, Jesus? And Jesus essentially said, you're the plan. You're the plan. It's you. It's you. I'll be around spiritually, but it's going to be just you. Um, and then he gives them what we call the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The reference is there in your sermon notes. And it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, you, you, my disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Jesus left. And there are the disciples. It's all up to them. Now, I want you to look at that phrase or think about that phrase in the Great Commission. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay, think about that. What is the number one thing Jesus commanded us to do? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Love God with your everything. But he didn't stop there, right? Jesus said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I'm standing before God someday and we're having this face-to-face -face conversation for the first time, he's going to ask me, I think, two questions. The first question is, David, do you love me? David, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second question he's going to ask me isn't going to be, how big was your bank account when you left the earth? It wasn't going to be, how many, how many weeks of, or how many hours of overtime did you put in every week at work? It's not going to be, how many different uh, relationships, or how big was your family, or, or anything like that. Is the second question he's going to ask is this, did you love your neighbors? Because it just, it just seems pretty plain to me that if Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbors as yourself, it's those two things right there that should be at the very top of our list every day 
that we live our life. Jesus is going to ask me, did you love the Aces? Did you, did you love the Smiths? Did you, did you love the Trimbles? Did you love the Freedleys? Did you love Ron Haroon? And did you love Cindy? He's going to ask me that. You see, to love someone, we talked about this the first week, to love someone is to will their good as God defines good. To love someone is to will their good as God defines good. And then, and then we talked at the very beginning about these two verses, and I love these two verses. I couldn't preach this morning without giving us these again. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27 says this, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So we all live where we live for a purpose, for a reason. And then he says this, God did this. The reason is so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. God puts us where we should live so that as we live our lives, those around us would seek Him. Think about this verse, Jeremiah 31, verse 34. There, there will come a day when no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Could you imagine that neighborhood? There's no teaching of the Lord anymore because everybody knows it already. Now, I recognize that, that in your mind you're thinking, well, that's not really, that's never going to happen. I mean, I know the people in my neighborhood, right? That would never happen. That's only for the other side of glory. And maybe it is for the other side of glory, but it's not just a pipe dream. It's, it's biblical. And even though our neighborhoods aren't there yet, there are still great benefits of loving our physical, actual neighbors as Ourselves, And I want to look at three of those this morning. The first one is this. There's practical benefits. There's practical benefits. Now, there are a number of verses in the Old Testament that, that deal with borrowing things from neighbors. Uh, Exodus 22.14, for instance. If someone borrows an animal from a neighbor and it is injured or dies when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. I think this could... Maybe that animal that that person borrowed was a John Deere, right? If someone borrows a tractor from a neighbor and it is broken down or, heaven forbid, blows up when the owner is absent, the person who borrowed it must pay full compensation. The only reason this is in the Bible is because God figured that men would be borrowing things from other men, that neighbors would loan things and borrow things from other neighbors. I mean, we've probably all heard the statement, you don't have to have a boat, you just have to have a friend that has a boat. I've practiced that my whole life. Although I did own a boat once. We live in a day and age today, though, where people don't really borrow stuff much anymore. I mean... It, it, and in fact, I think, I think we could call it the lost art of borrowing. The lost art of borrowing. Our neighbor has a leaf blower. We need to use a leaf blower. 
We go to the store and we buy a leaf blower. Our neighbor, uh, we need a ladder. We, we don't borrow one from the neighbor. We run to Baumgars and we buy a ladder. We need three eggs. We don't go next door to the neighbor to borrow three eggs. We run to the store and we buy three eggs. No, wait a minute. I don't do that. I run to my neighbor and I borrow three eggs. Just did it a couple weeks ago. In the middle of build, building, <laughs> in the middle of baking a cake, my wife calls on the phone and says, hey, could you mix this up? Could you make this? I'm like, sure. You get after it and you start mixing the ingredients and lo and behold, you open the fridge and there's no eggs. So what do you do? Well, what I do, and I've done this for milk, and I've done this for sugar, I run across to my neighbor and I borrow some. Some of which I have returned. Not the exact one, but uh, of course. Uh, and this is one thing that I, I love about our neighborhood that we live in. We, we all, at least the, the three or four of us who really know each other well, we practice the art of borrowing. Ladders, tools, lawnmowers, air compressors, milk, eggs, sugar. Um, somebody needs a hand moving a gun safe into their basement. This happened last week. Someone needs a hand moving a couch into their basement. This happened this week. Um, I got a text message yesterday from a neighbor across the alley. He says, are you home? I'm like, yeah, what do you need? Uh, I, walk, I drove off and left the grill on high. Could you go turn it down for me? I mean, that's what neighbors are for, right? And, and that only happens if we have developed a relationship with those that live in close proximity around us. There are benefits, practical benefits, of knowing and caring and loving our neighbors. Proverbs 3.28 says this, Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you now have it with you. Of course, if you're going to practice the lost art of borrowing, we also need to practice the lost art of returning things, right? If you borrow a grill, clean it. If you borrow a car, fill the tank. If you break it, replace it with the upgraded model. I've seen people do this. If we, I mean, and, and, and you loan somebody a drill and they take it and it burns up on them and they bring you back the next size bigger drill, it's like, wow, when do you want to borrow something else, right? And, and that's one of our worries when we borrow things is that it's going to, you know, if it's going to break, it's going to break when I borrow it, right? And, and then I'm going to have to fix it or repair it. Um, if we use someone's place, if we, we live in someone's house, leave it cleaner than when we found it. Wouldn't it be great to develop a reputation like this? Wow, those Andersons. When they borrow something, they always bring it back nicer and cleaner and, better, and in better shape than when they took it. How many of you, with a raise of hands here this morning, how many of you live in neighborhoods where you borrow stuff from each other? Raise your hand. Yeah. So my, my wife is like, oh, don't do that. Don't go ask them for that. And I'm like, well, I, they'll, just, they'll just loan it to you because they feel obligated to. They won't say no. Well, then they'll say yes. I mean, what, well, what do you want me to do? They're an adult. They can make those decisions themselves, right? I mean, I mean we... we in, in our neighborhood, there's a couple of, uh, of us neighbors who, it, it's just standing rule. If we're gone and you need something and our garages are unlocked, and, and, or if they are, we know how to get into them. Um, if you need something, just come, just come borrow it. 
And, and if I need it and I go to use it and I know it's not there, then I'll give you a call. And that's happened a few times too. Hey, do you have my... Yeah, I do. I'll bring it right over. The lost art of returning things. Practical benefits to loving and being loved by our neighbors. There's also relational benefits. Relational benefits. If I ask you, who are the most important people in your life today, who would you say? Your children, um, your parents, probably your relatives, wouldn't you? Most of us in this room would say that those who we are related to are the most uh, important to us. But many times, uh, I know many of you here this morning, you have relatives, but, but they're spread out all over the country. I mean, you, you, you may not have a relative that, that, that lives within four hours of your house or 400 miles. Proverbs 27, verse 10 says this, Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative or a brother far away. And we don't have any relatives that live in Lingle. And, and we have most of them on my wife's side live in Torrington. And I know that's not very far away, um, but it's far enough. And uh, sometimes it's not far enough, actually. Uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, we were at over one of those relatives' house in Torrington, and we were at a birthday party, and the birthday party went late. I mean, like 9.30, 10 o'clock, and, and our dogs are outside at home, and it was kind of one of those cool nights. And, and uh, so what did I do? I called my neighbor and I said, hey, could you go over and let the dogs in? Sure. You know, a couple months before that, you know, if, if we're going to be gone for a day, like out of, out of town for a, an all-day volleyball tournament or something, I'll give my neighbor a call and say, hey, could you let the dogs out, you know, three times during the day? Yes, absolutely, for sure. I mean, how many of us have neighbors that would be willing to do that? That, that comes from building that, that relationship with them, loving them, them loving you, and, and working in life. I mean, some people go out of town and, and you know, they, they have to kennel their dog or whatever for the day and pay for that. But, but with a great neighbor, they're always willing to help out. Uh, a neighbor nearby is better than a relative far away. It's very true. Now, from the beginning of this series, um, what we've been trying to do is to get everyone to recognize that, that, that those eight people that live near you, we want to move them from strangers to acquaintances, and then possibly one day from acquaintances to deeper relationships, where you can make those phone calls, where you can go over and actually borrow some sugar. I, I wouldn't borrow sugar from, from anybody you know, across the street or, or to the south of me. I don't know them well enough, but... But there are two neighbors that, that, that are within that section of eight that, that I could. There are relational benefits. Uh, take out your note sheet. And we gave you this one more time because I'm guessing that, that probably a number of you have lost yours by now. Um, and we said we were going to do this at the, at the end of this series. Um, we encouraged everyone to fill out this chart the first day. And the idea 
was over the course of the next three or four weeks to, to actually go and meet some of those neighbors that you didn't know by name. And there's eight spots there. You're in the middle. And those that live the closest to you, uh, those eight neighbors that you have, whether you're in an apartment building above and below you and around you, that sort of thing, or you live out in the country where it's not like a city block, it's a section or two, but you're still neighbors. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to do this again. Take out a pen or a pencil. I'm going to give you a minute or two. And I want you to write in those boxes the names of the people who live closest to you. And if you know of one thing that you could pray for them, I want you to write that in that box as well. Okay? Are you ready? Go. And you need a helping hand And nothing, oh, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I will be there To brighten up even your darkest night You just call up my name And you know wherever I am I'll come running Oh yeah baby See you again I was thinking of those lyrics to that song. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, nothing is going right, close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest nights. It could be your neighbor. You just call out my name and you know what? Send me a text message. Winter, spring, summer, fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. That's a great neighbor. Isn't it? And, and just as we would like to be there for those neighbors, it's, it's likely that as we develop those relationships with them, they will be there the same for us in very similar ways. Now, I want to ask this. How many of you could fill in more names today than you did on the first day of the series? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Me too. Me too. I still have a blank one, just to be honest. I still have a blank one. But I filled in, I think, three, three more than I was able to last time. Now, we're going to mention this, and I have it marked on my calendar as a reminder to remind me over the course of the next six months occasionally and, and ask you probably not to get it out, but to think about it. Because just like with Keith and this table back here, what we often do is we say, yeah, I'm going to do that. We have all the great intentions of the world, and then we just never really do it. And it just becomes, you know, it's like when you go to a, like when you go to a conference, you know, this great teaching conference or whatever, and, and, you, and they give you this three-ring binder, and you fill that three-ring binder up with all of those good things and all of those new things that you learned, and when you get home, what do you do? You stick it on the shelf. And then six months later, you go to another conference. 
And you get all of this great stuff in this three-ring binder, and you, my shelves are full of three-ring binders. Occasionally, I take them off of the shelf and look at them. So my hope is that, that as we think about the two uh, of the greatest commandments, love God and love our neighbors as ourselves, that this becomes a part of who we are and what we do. Now, I mentioned block parties. Uh, one of the ways to help not only you to get to know your neighbors, but your neighbors to get to know your neighbors, because they're, they're, they're in the same boat that you are, is, is to actually get everybody together in the same place and have some sort of a party. And I've heard, I've talked to several people who are planning block parties, and they're getting excited about it, and I'm getting excited about it because I want to see what happens through this, and I think there's still... Still some, some time this fall. Now, you, you might not be a good partier, but you may have a neighbor that is. You know, they may have cars parked in front of their house all the time and there's laughing and carrying on. You know what? Go ask, tell them your idea and see if they would jump on board. The neighbor that, that texted me and said he left his grill on high. He has one of those smokers, right? And, and I stopped before I left the house just after lunch about 2 o'clock yesterday and I said, hey, when do I need to be back for supper? And he said, well, um, out of the roast, we're hoping that there's at least this much that's not burned, right? He said, well, maybe there's enough to feed the two of you. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously we'll want to watch the grill a little bit closer, but I could, could get this neighbor to help me with the food, right? We could, we could have a block party and, and he could do the food. Maybe, maybe you're not a great conversationalist, but, but you're great... But, but you're the king of the grill, you know. Then you be the king of the grill and let other people do the conversation. You're great with kids, maybe. You plan, maybe have games for the kids at your block party. Maybe you have the greatest deck chairs on the block. Bring your deck chairs to the party, okay? Uh, whatever you have to offer, bring it. Give it. Do what you can. Because if you do, God will use it. He will. There are things... We can do beyond the block party. Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6 says this, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Interesting language Jesus uses here, isn't it? The person of peace. Um, the idea is that, that we all have a finite amount of energy and time, and so when we go someplace, we need to look for people who are ready to receive the blessing. The good thing that we have to offer and focus there. The, the person of peace is somebody in your neighborhood who is hospitable, who is receptive and responsive and open to, to becoming a friend. Because not everyone is. I had somebody this last week say, well, you know, we were doing this for our neighbor and then they kind of got upset with us and then they didn't want us to do it anymore. What do we do? Well, you can't force them to be in relationship. You can't, you can't make them be something that they don't want to be. So if they want to, to keep you at a distance, then love them from a distance. If people around you want space, give them space. You don't have to pound on their door and say, Jesus told me to love my neighbor as myself. So let's just, I don't like this any more than you do, but it's got to be done, all right? No, no, that's not going to help us at all. You may have neighbors who close you off because they're too busy or they're scared or they're introverted or 
their relational plates are full or they're in a different stage of life and they're afraid of being exposed. That's okay. Maybe the biggest thing that you can do for neighbors like that who want to remain at a distance is to simply pray for them. To simply pray for them. Another thing we can do is one act of kindness for a neighbor every week. One act of kindness for a neighbor every week. Now this took a little longer than probably most simple acts of kindness, but I got a, a new riding mower one day. It's not mine. I'm borrowing it. Okay? A special deal. But it was new to me. And uh, after I finished my lawn, you guys know, maybe you farmers know this, Maybe you're like this too. You get something new, a tractor or something, and you just don't want to shut it off. You know, you do this field, and then it's like, well, okay, then I need to do this field, and wow, this is so much fun, right? Right now, because it's new. Well, that's kind of the place that I was in. And I decided, um, I looked, there were no cars at my neighbor's. I'm going to go mow my neighbor's lawn. So I did. Outside the fence, inside the fence, front yard, backyard, I mowed it all. And then when I got done, I got to looking around, and I'm like, man, I really need trims too. So I went back to my garage and I got my trimmer and I get out and I fire it up and I trim everything. I mean, there's, there's parts of their yard, the grass is like this tall, right? Back in the corners behind bushes and stuff. And I, I'm just trimming like a madman, right? Because I'm like, this is going to be so awesome. They're going to come home and then they're going to go, wow, this looks great. I wonder who did it. And then I'm going to say, well, I don't know who did it. You know, have no idea. Well, they come out of their house. They were home. Doggone it. And she says, for what reason do we, um, for, for what, how did she say that? For what reason do we deserve this random act of kindness? That's how she put it. It just was. I just wanted to do it. And um, I was hoping that it would be a surprise, but it wasn't. Doggone it. But it was appreciated nonetheless. Doesn't have to. That's, she probably did. And that's okay. See, God, when we start looking for that one thing to do for our neighbor, God's going to give us all kinds of opportunities. When we're looking to do an act of kindness, God is going to put things there. There are going to be plenty of things. I helped two people change flat tires on the same day. You know, I had the jack. It was in the front seat, actually, because we had changed the tire on the pickup. God gives us those opportunities. Whatever you have, offer it. Every connection is another bond. It's like strands of a rope. You know, it's just not one big strand. A, a nylon rope is made of a lot of lots of little tiny nylon ropes that are in a thread, and then those threads are all interwoven together. And, and every time we do something for someone or we, we strengthen that relationship, it's one more strand in our relational rope. So there's practical benefits, there's relational benefits, and number three, there's spiritual benefits. There is great spiritual benefit for us as we see God at work in us as we try to love our neighbors. Because sometimes when we're trying to love our neighbors, it's honestly, it's, I think God, it's, it's, it's more about us than it actually is them. God is trying to do a work in our heart and do some changing in our hearts, and He's using our neighbor to, to do that. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I read this week about an eight-year-old who was kind of a nerdy, clumsy, chubby kid. In fact, one time a group of bullies were chasing him and they were calling him Fat Freddy. Fat Freddy. He ran toward the home of an elderly widow in the neighborhood and he prayed she would be home to let him in and she was. He said that actually built up his faith in God a lot. His full name was Fred Rogers. That was Mr. Rogers. That's part of why the neighborhood became such a precious thing to him. That was his neighborhood, you know. Those people that were in the show were people that were in his neighborhood. Mr. McFeely was actually a relative of his. Now, Mr. Rogers really led an amazing life. He would wake up every day at 5.30 a.m. He would pray. He would read his Bible. He would sing some hymns before he went swimming to exercise. He exercised every morning. And he would weigh himself on a scale every day. And for 30 years, I'm sure there was a little bit of fluctuation, but for 30 years, he made his weight at 143 pounds. 143 pounds. Now, here's why he did that. Because he, every time, every morning he got on that scale, he wanted the first message that he got that morning to be the message of, I love you. If you think of one, four, three... I, love, has four letters. You, has three. That's kind of corny, isn't it? It would be easy to make fun of a kid like that. But you know what? He was an easy guy to make fun of, but that's part of why he was loved the way that he was. Now, not every neighbor will like us. It's true. Um, Remember the verse, um, as much as... Oh, I don't remember it. As much as it is possible, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's it. As far as it depends on you. Try. Try if you may. Work hard at it. Also recognizing that there are some people that you just probably won't be able to live at peace with. Now, not some neighbors won't like us because of what we believe or what we do because we believe or just because we may never really know but we can be a positive spiritual influence in people's lives to love them again is to will good in their life as God defines good those neighbors that leave trash strung all over their yard it's still praying good God's good will in their life despite of the choices that they're making Sometimes Christians can be overzealous, though. I'm going to turn this off before it starts smoking and catches fire. You know, some, sometimes we get it in our head and we sort of put the cart before the horse and, and we start preaching to them before we actually know them. You know, John Maxwell says people don't know Oh, Keith, you know this one. Help me out. 
People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's what, uh, that's what I'm talking about here. Peter gives us a great guideline in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we do need to take some initiative. When the time is right, when the time is right, we need to take some initiative. We can ask about their previous church experiences, if any. So did you go to church, you know, there? And, and they'll tell you, no, we're not church people or whatever. Or they'll say, yeah. Or, and then you might have the opportunity, hey, I go to a great church. You, we meet at here, 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 you know, at these times. Why don't you come to North Hills? Invite them, invite them to church. Invite them to special events. You know, like Kids Zone Water Day or Kids Zone has a harvest party coming up if they have kids. The Men's Golf Day, Christmas Eve candlelight service, Easter at EWC. There are lots of opportunities that we have to invite our neighbors and our close friends to come to church with us. Tell them that you're going to pray for them. If you find out something that's pretty big in, in their life, tell them, hey, I'm going to be praying for you about that. Maybe ask them if you can pray for them right there. Very, very seldom will someone no matter what they believe, say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Yeah, would you do that? Pray for them. And then never, ever, ever give up. And when you live in one place as long as many of us have, we sort of get the, the thought and the idea that we know our neighbors and we know what they're interested in and what they might believe or might not believe and we sort of tend to write them off but you never know when God's Spirit is going to get through and there might be some experience of wonder or, or tragedy or beauty that, that they can't explain and this deep desire for what we have in our lives seems to rise up in them and, and God gives us the opportunity to share. Practical benefits, relational benefits, and spiritual benefits. And then there's four takeaways real quick here as we close. Four takeaways from the series. The first one is this. Pray for your neighbors. Put them on your refrigerator. Pray for them. Put this sheet... Oh, not that one. Put this sheet on your refrigerator and, and pray for them. By name. Meet your neighbors. Not everybody raised their hand when I asked if you knew more neighbors today than you did three weeks ago. Get to know your neighbors. Organize a block party. Stop by the table. Ask Keith some questions. There's some information back there for some ideas as well. And then finally, I think this is a great thing. Do one act of kindness every week. Think specifically. When is the last time you did something positive for those that live near you? Find something. Now the question is, will any of this make a difference? I mean, really. Really, will this, does this make a difference? Well, Vicki Rare, the assistant city manager for Aurora, the, the town where the two guys that wrote the book, The Art of Neighboring, that we talked about the first week and the second week, this is what she said in a letter. She wrote these two guys a letter, unsolicited. This is what she said. I've been working in the city manager's office for 13 years. This is the first time that I can remember going through an entire winter without receiving a single request for assistance in shoveling their driveway. No one has asked for help for themselves or an aging parent. Not one call. 
Maybe this is a coincidence, but I wonder if this is because of the neighboring movement. I guess there's no way to know for sure, but I thought you'd be encouraged. <laughs> Loving our neighbors can happen in the grocery store. It can happen in our office cubicles. It can happen out on the farm. Make no mistake, the relationships that we have with those people are important ones, and they speak volumes. People in this room, these are our neighbors too. These are our neighbors too. God's plan for your neighborhood is to turn you loose. That's the plan. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this series and the challenge that it's been to think outside of ourselves and to not just think in general terms as far as loving and caring for our neighbors, but to think specifically about those who live right next to us. And Father, I, I just thank you for what you do in our hearts and our minds, for planting us where we are. Oh Lord, may those who are around us May they reach out for you. May they find you. In Jesus' name, amen.